Nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. That was a verse that was sung when my grandma went to a church when she was probably, I guess, 19, 20 years old. Her husband was dying in a facility in Arkansas. That's where she was from. And uh, he came to Christ and wrote a letter to her, inviting her to receive Christ as well. And she thought she was a good girl. She didn't need that kind of stuff. She already went to church. But she went to church one Sunday and heard that song, Rock of Ages. And on that verse, nothing in my hand I bring, only to the cross I cling. She realized what she had in her hands was her own goodness, at least what she thought was her own goodness, her own righteousness, her own works. And she left that all. And she actually walked forward, talked to a pastor, and uh, she prayed to receive Christ as her Savior. Changed her life. Eventually, my mom was born, changed her life, and has changed my life. So praise God for that song and how it ministered to her heart on that day she received Christ. Turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. There's a story of a Christian hospital that had as their mission to extend the ministry of Christ to those who are suffering. And in in the early days of this Christian hospital, the staff would regularly gather and talk about their mission and why they were there. Well, one time, one of the nurses came to the director and was just really frustrated and and said, you know, I'm, I'm just really frustrated with a certain patient. He's making me so angry, so upset. She was complaining. And she said, you know, he was just so rude. I went in there and I tried to serve him and tried to show him the love of Christ. But, you know, he knocked my hand, uh, something out of my hand. It was a bottle of medicine and it went all over the floor. And, and then he yelled at me afterwards and blamed me for it. And she said, I'm just so mad right now. And the Christian director responded and he said, what was it that went on the floor? And she said, well, it was a bottle of medicine. So medicine went on the floor and it was, it was totally ruined. Isn't that terrible? And he said, well, the reason medicine came out was because it was on the inside of the bottle, right? She said, yes. And he said, uh, isn't the reason that man responded with such indignity and such anger because He's godless. There's, the grace of God is not within him. She said, well, I guess so. And he said, but you and I, sister, we're Christians. The grace of God has come to us and is within us. And therefore, when, when we get knocked over, what should come out? And he said, actually, it's a blessing that patients do that to us. And she said, what? A blessing? What are you talking about, a blessing? How is that a blessing? He said, well, when, when patients are rude like that to us, and what comes out is grace and love, that shocks them, and it shows them Christ. We should not pray for less trials in this hospital. Let's pray for more grace. And that Counseling from that director is what Paul counsels us with in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that is that God has ministered grace to us through Christ when he saved us. And that ministry of grace continues on throughout our life so that 
when we minister and serve and we live our lives, what should come out of us is the grace of Jesus Christ. And Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 how grace works. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. How does grace work? Grace works like this. Grace comes to us and remakes our identity, who we are. And then grace stays with us and empowers our daily work, what we do. And if you received a bulletin today, that should be in your bulletin. You can take notes. You might want to write some of these verses down this morning. God has given us grace by means of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And over the past number of weeks, we have been looking at what the Bible says about the gospel. And that is that the gospel is the good news that Christ saves sinners through saving faith based upon saving truth. That's the truth that Jesus died for our sins, rose again on the third day. And it's the truth that he is in heaven and he intercedes for those who place their faith in him. And we're saved by saving grace. And our focus last week, and then particularly this week, is on the grace that God gives to us through Christ Jesus. If you look in verse 1, he says that he is reminding them of the gospel. Notice verse 1, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. And that is so important as we start off this conversation of grace that we remember that we need this reminder every day. Why did the church need this reminder? Why did the church of Corinth need this reminder? Did they forget about Jesus' death and resurrection? Did they have dementia? I mean, what, what was the problem with them? Well, they had a problem that many of us can have, and that is that we can receive the gospel And then as Christians, there can be times where we forget to apply that gospel to our lives. In fact, for the Corinthians specifically, they were ignoring the resurrection of Christ in regard to how it would affect our bodies after we die. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he's saying there's going to be a resurrection of our bodies. But for some reason, the church of Corinth, some were saying, well, that that might not happen. That might be something else. So they were ultimately ignoring the gospel truth. Jesus rose again. Or think about the church of Galatia. They had the same, or I should say a similar issue. And that is Paul says to them in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, he said, I'm shocked, I'm astonished that you so quickly desert him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And what he's saying to them is this. He's saying that the gospel is about the grace of Jesus Christ and you were saved by grace, but you're living now like grace doesn't really matter. In other words, in the church of Galatia, they were living like legalists, as if their self-righteousness meant something to God. They were no longer depending upon the grace of God. And I think the warning here that Paul is giving to us as a church, it's so easy for us to neglect the gospel. Oh, the gospel was was in the past. That was for when we came to Christ. No, the gospel is for every day. And particularly here, he's saying, you're saved by grace, and then you are 
sustained by grace. You see, the same grace that came to us and changed our identity is the same grace that we need every day to strengthen us and to sustain us, to comfort us, and to grow us. You need oxygen to breathe. Would you agree with that? You need water to nourish your body. You need grace to grow in Christ. So last week we learned that grace came to us at our conversion. This week we're going to observe that same grace stays with us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Our text this morning is verse number 10. And I'm going to read just verse 9 and 10 this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will take this text of scripture, your holy word, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you'll use it to teach us, to correct us, to instruct us, to train us in righteousness so that we can be the men and women of God that you have called us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice in verse number 10 there, you can see grace three times. Grace is at the beginning of the verse. Grace is in the middle of the verse. Grace is at the end of the verse. Look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. Paul wanted to make it absolutely clear that there was nothing that he had to contribute to God's work of salvation in his life. God's work to save, God's work to sustain, God's work to empower, God's work to sanctify, God's work for him to even do good works is all by the grace of God. And anything Paul was or ever did to honor the Lord was only possible because of God's grace. And last week we saw that grace is God's work of love to those who don't deserve it. God's grace, God's grace is God's love in action to those who have sinned against him and don't deserve his love, yet he extends it anyways. So grace is love directed to us as undeserving sinners. Grace is God's work of love provided to you through the cross of Jesus Christ, channeled to your soul by the power of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking about an illustration of this this past week, and I thought about God's love. Think of God's love like an immeasurable reservoir of clear, pure water. And then think of Christ's work like a, a supernatural pumping station that, that makes that love available to you through his work on the cross and the Holy Spirit, think of that like these pipes that are channeled from the work of the cross to your soul. 
and the flow of God's love through Christ by the Holy Spirit to your heart, that's called grace. God's grace, it changes things. It transforms lives. That's God's love in action. And how is it that we get to experience the grace of God? Well, Romans 5, 2 says, through him, that's Jesus, we have obtained access by faith into this grace. So grace freely flows when we humble ourselves before the Lord in faith. That's what you see with That's what you saw with the Apostle Paul, right? When he was on that Damascus road. What happened? The the Lord Jesus appeared to him in this bright light and he humbled himself and the grace of God changed his life. God's grace changes who you are, changes your identity. In fact, notice that, notice that in verse number 10. Notice how God's grace changed him, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. So, God's grace came to Paul. His grace toward me was not in vain. That grace rescued him on the Damascus road. That grace rescued him from his sin, but it rescued him to the Savior. That grace came to him. And when that grace came to him, it transformed his life. And it was immediate. Like, it wasn't that he received grace over time and hopefully someday God would change his identity. No, when on that Damascus road, when he received the grace of God, he went from being a persecutor to being an apostle. In fact, God even says, Christ even says on the Damascus road, you're going to be sent. You're going to go. That's what it means to be an apostle, a sent one. On that Damascus road, he was changed from being a person who hated Christ and killed Christians to being a person who loved Christ and served Christians. And here's the question, how is that possible? Right, because it's not like in human reasoning, you don't look at this and go, oh yeah, as you calculate Paul's life, it was better for him to to be a Christian. So that's why this happened. No, it wasn't, not in human terms. I mean, think about it. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He had power. He, was, he had all these credentials that made him a very influential person in the Jewish community. I mean, he was a person who was probably pretty wealthy in this, with his standing in Jerusalem. He gave all that up to be persecuted, to be the one who was persecuted, and he gave it up for Christ. And how is it possible that he changed like that? It's because of the grace of God. So God's grace changed Paul's identity. And our identity, your identity, is a big topic in our society, isn't it? I mean, in fact, you have all these young people who are being taught that you need to find your identity. Like, you need to seek for it. And, you know, and so you look within yourself, and you try to find your authentic self. And once you find your identity, then, you know, then you can be fulfilled and happy until you find that you're not going to be. And, of course, what they find out is that when you look within yourself to find your identity, you're not fulfilled and happy. That's not how God created us to be. But our world says, you know, you, you can find your identity in your sexual orientation. You, you find your identity in what your skin color is. Or maybe you find your identity in political parties. Or maybe it's in your job. You know, what do you, who are you? Well, this is what I do for a living. That's, that's who I am. Or maybe it's in your athletic abilities. Or especially for teenagers in school, it's kind of like your identity is found in a group that you're in. Like you're part of this group or that group. And if you grew up in the 1990s, you a girl, and maybe you were a valley girl, or maybe you weren't a valley girl, so you weren't very popular. 
But you know, you see what I mean? Like, that's what the world does. They say, you're, who you are is found in those things maybe exterior to you, the things of this world or things within yourself. But for the Christian, our identity is found in Christ, who he is, and who he makes us to be. His work within us, that's where our value, that's where our identity is found. So Paul was a persecutor without the grace of God, and his identity changed to what? He is an apostle, a sent one of God. You know, for this Corinthians here, they had an identity before they came to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, Paul reminds them of their identity. This is what they did. This is who they were. He says that they were sexually immoral. They were idolaters. They were adulterers. They were homosexuals. They were thieves. They were greedy. They were drunkards. They were revilers, swindlers. And he says this. He says, and such were some of you. Notice that were. That's past tense, friends. He's saying, that's not you anymore. Well, how is that possible? What changed? It's God's grace. Because notice what God's grace on the screen. Notice 1 Corinthians 6, what God's grace did. God's grace washed them. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. And that's, again, past tense. When did that happen? When grace came to you and Christ rescued you. You were washed from your sins. You were made holy, sanctified like Christ. You were declared righteous, not because of your righteousness, but because God gave you the righteousness of Christ in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. The grace of God changed their identity. I was reading a biography this past week about John G. Payton. I'm going to tell this as a missionary story for these kids when I go to camp. He was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. One of his best friends was named Abraham. And he was one of the people that were on the island, that one of the natives there. And before he came to Christ, he was a tribal warrior. And these tribal warriors were cannibals. They would kill their neighbors, they would eat their flesh, and they would think that some kind of power from the spirits would come into them. He... And, and many of the people on the island as well, they beat their wives. Women were considered property. They were about the same level, if not lower, than animals. They were just cruel. But the gospel came to him, and grace changed his life. Abraham became not a cannibal and a warrior, but he became one who worked for Christ. He gave the gospel. He lived among the people that now hated him because he went, he followed Christ. He was now a changed man. Now he gave up his possessions for other people. Now he loved other people. And it was this radical change. And in fact, what you see through the story, as you read through the story of John G. Payton, is that people's lives all over the islands are changed by the grace of God. And this is what the grace of God does the Bible says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And notice he says, if you're in Christ, that's God's grace to place us into Jesus Christ. So his grace was toward him. Notice verse number 10. The grace was not in vain. In other words, it worked. When God starts something, he finishes something. God's grace came to you. And friend, can I tell you, he's not going to give up on you. Believer in Jesus Christ, child of God, 
When he makes you his child, he doesn't kick you to the street, right? His grace comes to you. His grace stays with you. And so the grace of God changed his identity. Then also notice the grace of God changed his activity. The grace of God changed his activity. Notice verse number 10. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So grace is God's work within us. So does that mean that if God's works within us that we just give up and we can be lazy, right? God's the one doing the work. It's his grace. You know, just let him, let him do the work. What does Paul say here? No, it's the exact opposite. He says, I worked harder than any of them. Well, why is that? Because the grace of God was at work within me. When God's grace works in you, God's grace energizes you to work for Christ. Did you get that? When God's grace works in you, God's grace energizes you to work for Jesus Christ. When God's grace works in you, God's grace changes you to be like Christ. God's grace, God's grace is like plugging in your electrical appliance directly into the nuclear power plant. It will never run out of energy. Like it's always available to you. And because the grace of God is channeled to our inner person by the Holy Spirit, our spirit is alive our minds and our, our mind, I should say, and our words and our desires and our wills and our actions can be energized, therefore, to do what God has called us to do. And the truth is, laziness reveals that you are energized by your own desires. Laziness reveals that you're motivated by your own comfort. You want to do the least work possible for you. It's laziness. But for the Christian, when God's grace energizes your heart, you work hard for the Lord. A Christian who is depending upon the grace of God is the hardest worker there is. That's biblical Christianity, church. It's not because you're energized by yourself and your own desires, your own will. It's because you're energized by the omnipotent God. So Paul says, I work harder. I worked harder than any of them. It was the grace of God within me. There's a popular phrase in Christianity and churches that you might see sermon series on this. I saw there was a camp this summer that used this as their slogan. And it's, it's, it's this slogan right here. It's let go and let God. And let me just tell you, please don't ever use this slogan. Okay, I'm, I'm putting it up here to warn you, please. It's a, it's a catchy phrase, you know, so I think it's why people use it. Unfortunately, people, I, I know there's a church that preached an entire sermon series on this, and it's like, just let's preach the Bible instead of cute quotes like this. But the reason it's not good to use is because it's an improper view of grace. See, it's not let go and just let God. It's actually, here's, here's what's biblical. It's actually trust God and toil hard. 
It's actually trust God and then get to work. Or as I heard one person say it, let God and let's go. That's actually the biblical teaching on grace, that we depend upon the Lord and then we go out and work for the Lord by the grace of God. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, the great passage on the grace of God that saves us, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Wonderful passage. Amen to that. But you know that at the end of that paragraph, when he talks about what God's grace does, God's grace makes us into his workmanship. It actually creates us to be one who does good works. And so God's grace empowers us to serve him, to serve him by grace. Grace puts you to work for Christ. And you know, that's what Christ did. When Christ was on earth, he was not lazy. And when you see the ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus was hard at work. And yes, he had times when he went away to rest. But even what's interesting about that is, remember, there's a time where he goes across the Sea of Galilee. He's like, I've been ministering for three days. I think it's around Matthew 15 or a text. I think it's Matthew 15 or 14. And he's like, I got to go across. We got to get some rest. And he gets out and there's all these people and they're hungry. And the disciples are like, we got to get away to a desolate place. Let's get away from these people. And what does he do? He has compassion on them. I mean, he's tired, he's weary, but what he does is he looks at them and he says, these are like sheep. They don't have a shepherd. Let's minister to them. Jesus worked hard. And what Jesus reflected, what he imaged was what God created us to be. In Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter two, we see that God creates us, man and woman, in his image. And and what is God like? God's a God who works In fact, you think about the creation story. You have six days of God working. Why in the world did God create in six days? Could he not do it in one? Absolutely he could, right? God did it to give us an example. And that was that he actually wants us, like he works, he wants us to work. Actually, work's a blessing. Work is a good thing. And so he says, six days you're to work. And then you're going to have a day where you rest. And that's really a day we focus on the Lord. We set aside for him. We call it in the New Testament, the Lord's Day. It's about worshiping Christ and about building his church. But the point is this. is He's saying that I've created you in my image. And that part of that is that you get to work. You work. And what happens, or what's happened after the fall, what happened because of sin, is that sin changed work from being a blessing, a way to provide, a way to image God. Work became about me, about my status or my power, or maybe I don't want to work because I don't really feel like working. Work became something that was rejected by many that wanted to reject God's will for them. They were lazy. I read a shocking statistic this past week. According to a study by the Mercatus Center of George Mason University, 31% of men in America, so this was last year, 2022, 31% of men in America of the prime working age, such 20s, 30s, 40s, 31% are not working. And they found that 75% of those inactive prime age men are in a household that receives some form of government 
transfer payment. This isn't a political statement. What I'm saying is, there's, in our society, we have an epidemic of laziness, of young men who aren't getting jobs, who aren't working. And of 31%, I mean, there's got to be a lot of those guys that are able-bodied, right? And I think this is something for us to consider as a church, parents, something for us to consider as our kid, for our kids. I mean, what are we teaching our kids? For Christians, we should never have an accusation against us that we're lazy people. The grace of God should cause us to be the best workers in school. Hey, kids, listen to this. You're about to start school in a couple weeks. Okay, that's like a groan right there. I'm sorry about that. But you're about to start school. When you start school, you should be the best worker in school. Why? Because you're doing it for the glory of God, to fulfill the will of God, and you're depending upon the grace of God. If you're employed, you should be the best worker there. Why is that? Because you're doing it for the glory of God. You're doing it to fulfill the will of God, and you're doing it depending upon the grace of God. You see, grace explains Jesus' ministry on earth. And how was Jesus able to minister like he ministered? It was grace. Listen to this verse, Luke 2, 40. And if you're a child in here, a teenager, this is something for you definitely to listen to. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That's speaking of Jesus. Hey, kids, listen to this. How is it possible that Jesus was able to obey his parents perfectly. How's that possible? Well, someone says, well, because he is God. Well, yes, he is God. But that's actually not the answer. Because he didn't depend upon his deity for his perfection. He actually depended upon the grace of God. See, the grace of God was upon him. He trusted God's, his father's grace by the power of his Holy Spirit. How is it possible if you're a child in here, how is it possible for you to obey your parents? I mean, true obedience from the heart. You have sweet submission. You want to glorify God. You want to do what your parents say. You want to do it completely. How is it possible? Well, I'll tell you the answer I tell my kids. It's not possible. And then the kids go, yay. You know? <laughs> it's not possible on your own. It's not possible without the grace of God. So why is it that you habitually live in a way that's rebellious to your parents? It's because you're not depending on the grace of God. You're depending on yourself and your own desires. And actually, the conclusion of all discipline of children, the conclusion is this. You can't do it on your own. You can only do it by the grace of God. And that's why you should conclude your discipline always with prayer. The grace of God explained Jesus' ministry. Remember, Jesus was baptized, and when he was put down in the water and brought back up, the heavens opened, and God the Father spoke, and the Spirit descended on him, on Jesus like a dove. And the Father said, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. I've set my favor upon him, and the Holy Spirit is upon him. The grace of God is upon him. What's the very next thing that Jesus did, or what happened to Jesus right after he was baptized. Remember? He had temptation. And he goes out, the Bible is very clear, in the power of the Holy Spirit, how was Jesus able to resist those temptations? Again, the answer is not he's God. He is God, so let's not get that confused. But the answer is he depended upon the Holy Spirit 
for grace. See, in that way, church, that's how he's an example for us. Because he was tempted in all ways like as we are, yet without sin. And how is that possible? Because of the grace of God in his life, he depended upon God's grace. See, grace explains how Jesus was able to go to that cross, to be tortured for our sins. Grace explains how he was able to hang on that cross And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. In other words, the answer to why Jesus was on that cross, and he said, Father, forgive them. He had a heart of love. The reason for that is because the grace of God was upon him, and he was living surrendered to his father, trusting in that grace by the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, what we see in John chapter one is that the apostle John says, listen, I knew Jesus. John 1, 14, the word became flesh. That's the eternal son of God, God, Jesus Christ. He became flesh. He dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. What's that glory like? Glory as the, of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And that's why verse 16 then says, and from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. It flows to us through Christ. And if you are in Christ, it just keeps coming. He shares with us the grace of God. It's possible through Christ. Grace explains Jesus' life, his death, and even his resurrection. How is it possible he was able to raise From that tomb, be risen again, it's by the grace of God. The grace of God explains why after Christ's resurrection, lives were changed. The gospel spread. It's it's said in Acts chapter 4, verse 33, that great power, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great, what is the word? Great grace. Great what? Great grace was upon them all. I mean, here you have these hicks from Galilee. And they turned the world upside down. Well, was it them? Well, it was the grace of God through them. This explains why Stephen was able to get up. Grace explains why Stephen was able to get up and preach the gospel, even though he knew it's possible he might lose his life. Because the Bible says, and Stephen was full of grace and power. This explains why people believed. Acts 18.22 says that, that those who believed, believed through grace. Do you realize that those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, they're able to place their faith in Christ because of grace. Even faith is by the grace of God. Grace is what is delivered to you when someone preaches the word of God. Grace is what comes out of God's word when you read it and you're illuminated by the Holy Spirit. It's what he says in Acts 20, 32. And now I commend you, Paul says, to God and to the word of his, what is it? Grace, which is able to build you up, to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So look in verse number 10, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Notice Paul testified, I work Harder than any of them. 
yet not I, but the grace of God that is within me. That word there, worked harder, is speaking of intense labor. It's working to the point of exhaustion. It's to put your whole effort to the task at hand. It's, it's, it's working so hard that when you go to bed at night, you close your eyes and you're immediately asleep because you spent your whole day in labor. This is how Paul described his life. He wasn't bragging here. He's saying that what's happening, what's happened in my life, the toil I go through is because God's grace has empowered me. And just think about for a moment, what was it, in what ways, I should say, in what ways did Paul work hard In what ways did Paul work hard? What did working hard include for the Apostle Paul? Well, first of all, I think it included working hard, the hard work of spiritual discipline. The hard work of spiritual discipline. I mean, think about Paul. I mean, who do you think had a spiritual target on his soul? I mean, if Satan's going to go after anyone, who's he going to go after? I mean, I imagine he had, he's like, demons get away. I got this guy. Like, he's my project. Paul was under intense spiritual warfare. And honestly, like, trusting the Lord, going through temptation, the fight to live a holy life, it's hard work. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I disciplined my body, and I keep it under control. And Paul's describing himself like an athlete, is anyone a real athlete in here? If you are, you, you eat right, you exercise often, like for the purpose of being successful in whatever that athletic event that you're going to compete in. And Paul says, life is like an athletic event and it takes hard work, but it's not his work, it's the grace of God through him. Or Philippians 2, the Bible says, Paul says, work out your own salvation. God has given you a gift of salvation He saved you, and he's given you this wonderful gift. He says, use it. (laughs) Use it. It takes work. You're like, oh, is it all up to me? No. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will, that is that he puts the desire within you, and to work, that is that he gives you the power, and it's according to his good pleasure. Grace empowers the hard work of trusting and enjoying God in suffering. We don't really know what the suffering was for Paul, but he had something that was so intense that he pleaded with the Lord, Lord, please take it away from me. And that's not a bad prayer to pray. It's not that, that's not sinful. That just shows that he's genuinely suffering, but suffering with joy, suffering and trusting the Lord, that's very difficult, isn't it? It's very It could say it's hard work to trust the Lord during suffering. But what did the Lord tell Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. I have something to offer you, Paul. It's not taking away that trial. It's not taking away that difficulty. It's grace to trust me through it. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you've lost a loved one, if you have pain because of some kind of physical ailment, 
you think about your past, maybe you have regrets or guilt or something that you went through that's very difficult, something that causes your pain, it's very hard to move forward sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes it's almost paralyzing. But God is saying here, he's saying, I have something. I have a gift for you, and that is grace. But wouldn't love take it away? Right? I mean, if God really loved us, wouldn't he take it away? What, what's, what's the Apostle Paul saying here? What's Jesus saying to the Apostle Paul? No, love actually does something else. What does love give instead of taking away the trial? What does love give? Love gives grace. And really what that is giving is God is giving us more of himself. What you need in weakness is more of Jesus. And that's what grace gives us. There's a song that I go to many times on, tends to be on Mondays. And as you can imagine, every, I think everyone has a day where that's the day that you're like, oh, do I really want to do this anymore? For pastors, that's Mondays. About 8 o'clock in the morning. And, uh, and you think to yourself, I think to myself, and I, and I no, this is common because I have a pastor's thread with a bunch of other pastors, and I sometimes on Monday morning they text on there, and everyone you know agrees with it. It's a song though that I like to listen to sometimes. Sometimes I go in my car and I play this song away from everybody else, and I sing this song. And it's a song called "Grace" by Laura Story. Do you know that song? And it goes like this: it goes At times I may grow weak, and I feel a bit discouraged. Knowing that somewhere, someone somewhere could do a better job. For who am I to serve you? I know I don't deserve you, but that's the part that burns in my heart and it keeps me hanging on. And one of the other verses says this As I walk with you, I'm learning what grace really means. The price that I could never pay was paid at Calvary. So, in, so instead of trying to repay you, I'm learning to simply obey you by giving up my life to you for all that you've given to me. And the idea of the song is it's grace. And that is that God, I'm only able to serve in the power of your grace. Grace empowers us. Grace empowers us in suffering. Grace empowers us in our employment we're going to wrap this up, so I'm not going to go through too much of this. But think about Acts 20, what Paul testified of himself. And here's a pastor. Pastors are supposed to be in their office. They're not supposed to be out doing any work, are they? Well, Paul, what does he say? He says, you yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions in everything I did. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, well, Paul did some hard work, we must Help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What was the hard work Paul did to supply for his own needs? Well, he made tents. And he's not out there sewing like cotton tents, you know, or nylon or whatever it is. I mean, these, these are like goat skin. This is, this is real work. I mean, you're sweating. It's hard. You're tired. This was Paul, the apostle. Paul worked hard. Why did he do it? Why did he say he did it here? He did it to help the weak. He did it for, to further the gospel. He knew there were times that he was going to have to set aside what he maybe wanted to do 
to work hard to help other people. He said that it's actually a blessing. What's the blessing of it? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I think what you see here is a theology of work that Paul gives. Work is a way for us to image God. So think about your place of employment, or if you're in school, you're schooling. You are imaging God by working, and so you should do it with all your might. You should do it under the grace of God, for the glory of God. But work is a way for us also to provide for our families and to give so we can spread the gospel. So Paul says, like, you should work with your hands. He rebukes, actually, some in the church in Thessalonica that weren't working. They were lazy. But he says to the Ephesian church that actually the opposite of being lazy or the opposite of stealing is not just working. It's working and then sharing that. It's working and it's giving. And that work, you work, I should say, by grace, but you give also by grace. And the last thing we see is that grace empowers the hard work of serving the church. And this is actually, I think, what Paul was talking about. I think he's talking about he worked harder in the gospel ministry. And the gospel ministry is very hard work. All of us are equipped by grace to serve the church. That's what 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, each one, each individual has received a gift. That's a gift of grace. And what are we to do with that gift? What are you to do on Sundays and throughout the week? What are you supposed to do? What does it say? You are to serve. What are you supposed to do? Is that hard to do? Is that hard to serve? Yeah. Can you serve and have joy? And can you serve and bless people in your own strength? No. But if you're empowered by the grace of God, even if you're cleaning toilets or changing babies' diapers or going to someone's house and helping them out in some way or praying with someone or dealing with someone that's in a very deep, dark, wicked sin. Just, and it's so painful. Even with your, when you're in that, if you're empowered by the grace of God, you can have joy and strength as you labor in love. And actually what's interesting is Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that his work, our work in the church is a labor of love. Why do you do it? Like, why should a pastor preach? Why should someone teach? Why should someone serve? Why do we come here? We do it because we love God and we love one another. So the motivation behind it is a motivation of love. And for pastors, for elders, that's what they're to be doing. One of the things I was going to say, and I'll say at the very conclusion here, is I'm so thankful for our elders. I feel really bad on a regular basis because these guys, some of these guys have regular, like full-time important jobs and these guys are working really hard for the church. And this verse right here says that we are to respect those who labor among you and I'm so thankful for them and I'm thankful that they work really hard for the Lord in this way and they are an example for us as well. Well, how does grace works work? Grace came to us and changed our identity and grace stays with us and empowers us. And so let me ask you this question. Are you working hard for the Lord? Are you working hard for the Lord? In your home, in your place of employment, within this body of believers, are you working hard? The next question is this. Are you empowered by grace? Are you depending upon the grace of the Lord? 
Let's draw near to the Lord with confidence, coming before his throne of grace and asking for help in time of need. Let's pray.